0: hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of it's crime time i apologize for being absent and not posting for the past two weeks but i'm attempting to get my schedule back on track and kind of determine what the best times of the week would be for me to record and edit and then finally post i started a new job and i have to get used to this schedule my schedule changes again coming up on August 13th. So I'm trying to get everything situated, get used to the flow of things and then determine when the best time would be to release. But all right, so in 2020, another gruesome crime occurred in Texas. And I say another because my last case also involved a gruesome crime in Texas. I had not heard of this case and there is information out there about it, but there's not enough But I wanted to kind of do my own research on it and everything since I hadn't heard of it. And that's the case of Nicole or Nikki Perry. All right, everyone, it's crime time. I had an extraordinarily difficult time finding any prior information about Nicole Perry, or Nikki as most people call her, even down to when she was born. I couldn't even find her birth date, I couldn't find anything about her childhood, anything about how she was raised, how she was as a person, except for the fact that she had been known to be a relatively mouthy person, kind of in that she didn't really take any crap from anyone she would defend herself if she felt she needed to. So she was very quick to kind of become mouthy and rude, especially when already in an argument, but people also said she was just, I guess, mouthy and argumentative regardless. So she wasn't one of those people that sat back quietly. You know, if someone attacked her verbally or anything of that nature, she she was mouthy. She kept going. She would just keep going and going, apparently. So since she was 31 years old in 2020, when this case happened, we can infer that she was born in around 1989 or so. She was from San Antonio, Texas, and she had a fiance of eight years named Randall Fulgum. Both of these people, um, Nikki and Randall, were methamphetamine users who had recently been evicted from their home, and they were essentially homeless at this point. And they phoned a um, friend, I guess it was Randall's friend, who has only been listed as Gizmo, to ask if they could stay at his home, which was located on the 300 block of West Harlan Avenue. This home had kind of a small detached garage. There was a home, and then there was this garage that had been turned into a living space behind the home. I've heard several accounts of the amount of people living in this home. Apparently there was 10 people living in this home at one point. Just, I guess, due to being transients they had nowhere to go. And of course it was, it was a drug home. It was a known drug house. So Gizmo and his girlfriend, Vanessa Vargas and Gizmo's cousin, Rafael Castillo, who was 26 years old and a documented gang member involved with the mexican mafia were living there as well as nicole and her fiance randall people were said to be coming and going all day long to this detached garage shelter because like i mentioned it was a known drug house this home was on police's radar they'd carried out drug bust here before so it was just not obviously the best living situation at all it was very small full of trash and other items and with you know so many people living there they kind of i guess made their own living spaces within the garage i saw on pictures several of these smaller sorry smaller living spaces that were designed i guess they were blocked off with like cardboard wood things of that nature they were just very small little tiny living spaces on basically the floor. I know a lot of people apparently had slept on the floor. There was couches in there, but if you look at the pictures, it was absolutely filthy. I mean, there was trash everywhere. So it wasn't, it wasn't obviously the best place to live, but they lived here because they had nowhere else to go. And I am by no means saying anything bad about Nikki, the type of person she was. I obviously didn't know her. I'm only discussing their situation or her situation before this, this crime occurred. Um, the The information I gathered about her being mouthy and things of that nature was stated by others. And I am in no way, shape or form, saying that she deserved what happened to her because she was mouthy or because she struggled with a methamphetamine addiction. Absolutely not. What happened to her was not deserved. Just because she lived, you know, different from maybe you or I. She didn't deserve this. And she didn't deserve to live in that kind of environment. She did have three children at the time as well. But she obviously did not have custody of her children due to her substance abuse issues. And... The fact that she couldn't keep a home she was evicted and had been before apparently so she was a mom but she was struggling on november 19th or 18th 2020 i kind of had a hard time with this but i think it may have been the 18th nikki had been having a really rough time due to the passing of her father so she wasn't really in the mood per se deal with anyone's crap basically is how it's been put she was in even further of a depression and things of that nature so she was just kind of at the point where you know she didn't really give a crap like she didn't care what she said to people she didn't care about anything really she was just struggling allegedly nikki and her fiance randall began having a disagreement while rafael castillo was in the room Rafael is friends with Randall and I'm not sure if, well, I I can obviously assume that Rafael was just totally sick of hearing Nikki and maybe he had some sort of beliefs related to the gang rules for why he did what he did next. I'm not exactly sure, obviously, what the rules are for the Mexican mafia in terms of how they deal with um, females that are being disrespectful. But I know a lot, you know, of organizations, you don't disrespect the men. As a woman, you don't disrespect the men in the gang. You don't disrespect your man, especially. So Raphael had just been tired of hearing Nikki disrespect Randall because he was friends with Randall. And that was Nikki's fiance. And Raphael got tired of hearing it. he was tired of hearing the argument. He was tired of hearing him being disrespected. So he kept telling Nikki that she needed to shut up and she needed to respect Randall she needed to be still for a while otherwise she would not like the results of what was going to happen to her of course Nikki, being Nikki like I said, refused to sit back and be quiet and this enraged her further obviously when Raphael was telling her to shut up and threatening her so she refused she refused to be quiet and she refused to just sit back so Raphael grabbed some tape and he began taping Nikki's hands and feet at this point because he was tired of hearing her he taped her mouth shut so she could no longer talk and at this point rafael was kind of looking down at her she was sitting on the couch as far as i know and then her hands were bound and apparently her feet were bound as well her mouth was taped rafael was kind of over her saying some things he's looking down at her kind of saying some things which Nikki's fiancee, Randall, had stated he couldn't really hear. He was kind of in a shock. He was just kind of focused on what was going on with Nikki and how she was being taped up. He didn't really hear what Raphael was saying to her, what, you know, maybe what he was warning her. So, I mean, she refused to be quiet and Raphael taped her up. He grabbed a machete and Randall had stated that he thought maybe Raphael was only using all of this as a scare tactic. He wasn't really going to hurt her. He was taping her up so she couldn't move, couldn't talk anymore. But the machete was probably a scare tactic just to scare Nikki into being quiet. You know, hey, I'm going to kill you with this or whatever if you don't stop talking. But Raphael did not put the machete down. He raised the machete up to Nikki while she was on the couch and he severed both of her hands. So he cut off her hands and it took three strikes to do this. And Randall had kind of looked away at this point, but he heard the noises, the sounds of Nikki's hands being severed from her body. And he says that that is, that's what he'll never forget about the situation. He'll never forget the sound, the sounds that he heard. And obviously at this point, Nikki was still alive. She collapsed onto the floor. She was obviously no longer speaking, but she was laying on her side on the floor, kind of moving around, lifting her head. I'm assuming she was wiggling around because she was taped up. And at that point, I mean, she had no hands. So she was probably in shock, freaking out. Vanessa Vargas, which is Gizmo, the owner of the home's girlfriend, entered the room at this point and she tried to leave the room or this this little garage shelter when she saw all of this blood and it, just this gruesome scene, but Raphael said he was gonna kill her too if she left, so she could not leave either. Raphael went to grab an ax at this point, which he then swung and he stuck into Nikki's head. And they say that it went obviously thriller's call skull and deep into her brain and Randall kind of sat there in shock just watching you know this whole scene unfold watching Nikki's blood splatter on Raphael's clothes Randall was hysterically shaking at this point he had just witnessed his fiance be brutally murdered by this man and he couldn't do anything about it because obviously he was afraid it was going to happen to him too Raphael was said to have carried on as if he didn't just kill someone i mean he was just straight face no emotion perfectly fine like it never happened at this point he held a gun to the heads of randall and vanessa vargas and they were ordered to clean up the crime scene so they were cleaning up the crime scene and i guess a gun was being held to their head by Raphael randall was ordered to remove the axe from nikki's head and place her body in two plastic bins i'm not sure what exactly they did with her body in terms of dismemberment but the way it was found i would assume that they they had to finish dismembering her in some way because she was placed into two bins and then thrown in trash bags during the cleanup they had actually forgotten nikki's hands so Randall wrapped them in plastic, and the only thing they had really around to place them in was a crock pot. So, Nikki's hands were wrapped in plastic wrap and thrown into a crock pot. Raphael contacted another man, Stephen Cleveland, to help dispose of these garbage bags with Nikki's remains and the cleaning supplies in. Stephen wasn't aware at this point. He, I'm assuming, did things for Raphael frequently, So he was just like, okay, I'm gonna come pick these bags up and I'll dispose of them. There was an illegal dumping site on South WW White Road. And a lot of people just illegally dumped trash and things of that nature here. So Stephen was just supposed to take those bags to this dumping site. He had no idea what was in the bags. And while he was doing this, Raphael called him and said, hey, you forgot this one item, which was the crock pot. He had forgotten to take the crock pot. Because whenever Stephen was out there throwing these bags or dumping these bags. That's when they discovered, oh crap, we forgot her hands. So they put them in the crock pot. They called Stephen and said, hey, you need to come get this this crock pot. Well, Stephen came back and he was handed the crock pot and the lid kind of slid open on the crock pot and he saw the hands of Nikki. So he saw human hands in there. He freaked out. He dropped this crock pot, ran out of there, Went to his sister's home and he hid for for a few days because he was shocked. He he kind of discovered, you know, oh man, I just disposed of a body most likely because there were the hands that he would forgotten. And the bags were very, very heavy. And he wasn't told what was in them. So the next day, two public workers were tasked with removing the trash from this illegal dumping site on South WW White Road. So these men are picking up these garbage bags. They noticed that two of these bags were really unusually heavy, like crazy heavy. And while lifting them, one of the workers, Oscar Flores, discovered some long thin hair hanging out of this bag because it burst open. And he believed that this hair was, it looked way too human to be any sort of animal or anything else of that nature. So he kind of got afraid and he alerted his supervisor. His supervisor then contacted the police. When officers opened the bags, they discovered these bloodstained napkins, shoes, some cat litter, some just cleaning supplies. And then of course, the name Nikki was scribbled on the side of the shoes. And then they opened the really super heavy bags. And they found these blue containers in these bags containing Nikki's remains. After hearing about the discovery of Nikki's remains, Stephen Cleveland feared being arrested and sent back to prison, which Stephen is obviously the guy that disposed of them, but I had no idea. And so he heard that they were found, and he was like, okay, I'm gonna go to the police and tip them off about this murder because I do not want to go back to prison for something that I didn't do. I had no idea that anyone was even murdered is basically what he's thinking he didn't know about the murder he wasn't present he didn't know that there were body parts he was disposing of so he was afraid so he alerted police randall and Raphael were arrested but neither would confess to the murder so they had to be released after 24 hours randall had not talked to police about the murder because Raphael had threatened to kill him and vanessa saying he had eyes on them and he would kill them if they talked to the cops Randall was later asked why he had come forward and he stated, quote, I had nothing to live for without Nicole, end quote. He and Nikki had been in a relationship, like I said, at this point for eight years. And even though life was not great for them, they were both deep into addiction. They didn't have a good place to live. They loved each other. They were together, you know, they've been together for eight years. They loved each other. And even if they were arguing at the time of Nikki's death, he didn't wish her dead. It was an argument. You know, couples argue, I mean, all the time. It's whatever it happens. Randall described what had happened to Nikki that night to the investigators, and they just could not believe what kind of monster Raphael was. Vanessa was also brought in for questioning, but she would only open up to police and agree to testify if the detectives had assured her of her safety. Because she was obviously afraid that Raphael was going to kill her. He told her he was, and he said he had All these gang eyes on her, and I don't, I mean, I don't doubt it that he was having them watched. I mean, maybe not, but they knew he was in a gang, and they were afraid. So, once they assured her of her safety, or once the detectives assured Vanessa of her safety, she did open up and start speaking about it. After both she and Randall gave their statements, officers raided the drug house and arrested Raphael on December 8th, 2020. During the search of the home, they located the machete and the axe that Raphael used to kill Nikki, hidden under bed, and a packet of kitty litter in the back of the cupboard. And then, of course, Raphael was arrested and his trial began on August 10th of 2022. I listened to parts of the trial that have been released, and I can tell you that Randall's testimony absolutely broke my heart. It really did. Listening to it's one thing, but kind of watching him talk about it is a different thing. So I'm going to just try to place some of it here. It was hard for me to hear, so I apologize for the quality.
1: He warned her about the stuff that she was saying.
0: Was she being frustrating?
1: Yes. Was she being rude? Yes. Was she being violent? No. He was telling her that she needed to shut up. For a while, uh, otherwise she wouldn't like the result. I kept trying to get her. She kept on talking. She kept she, even afterwards. She wouldn't stop, and I just I continued to try to get her to quit because it looks like uh, he, he's uh, pretty much upset now. he grabbed some tape and start taping her hands up. I was pretty much, I was frozen. At first, I thought it was a scare tactic. He gets a machete, uh, and he goes over to Nikki, and uh, he's looking down at her, and he's speaking, but I don't, I, I, I couldn't tell what he was saying, because I, I, I really wasn't paying attention to him talking. I was just watching Nikki. And uh, at any point, at some point, I'm I'm thinking to myself, all right, uh, he's he's going to pick it up after, I mean, put put the machete back down after he picked it up. And, uh, he raised it, and as soon as he raised it, I, I already knew what it was going to do, and I turned my head, and I, I heard it hit. And it's a sound I won't ever forget. She was on the couch at first, but then she ended up on the floor. She uh, wasn't saying a word, but she was on her side. And uh, she kept moving around, lifting her lifting her head up. She kept trying to look around. Uh, I, the only thing I could think of is she was trying to look for me he went and grabbed a, uh, a black, uh, a black axe. And he swung it and buried it in your skull. And what
0: did the do?
1: Carried on. It, was, it, it never happened. I just fear for
0: myself. I feel I fear it for me and my The first audio that you heard was from Randall Fulgum. It was his testimony in court. And the next one is just a very small snippet from... Vanessa Vargas's testimony about fearing for her life and her son's life. So, of course, she did what she was ordered to do. There's also some testimony from one of her friends that apparently she also held a gun to Randall when they were cleaning up. She was forced to hold a gun to Randall as well. But they were both very emotional and fearful in court. Vanessa would not even look at Raphael. She seemed very scared and Randall kind of broke down whenever the murder weapons were shown to him. It was just a very heartbreaking trial to watch. There's not, as far as I know, there's not a lot of video out there of the trial, but there is video of those two, A little bit of their testimonies. So Raphael's trial began on August 10th of 2022, like I mentioned, but he actually was released on bail after being arrested up until his trial date. He was ultimately convicted of murdering Nicole six days after his trial began, and he was sentenced to 70 years in prison with eligibility for parole after 30 years. All right, everyone, that concludes this episode of It's Crime Time. If you enjoyed, please like, subscribe, rate, whatever you want to do on whatever platform you get your podcasts, preferably on Spotify, as I always say, but any is fine. And until next time.